Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Um, pastor asked me to do a special uh, sermon today. And as you can see by the subject, it's right here. The conference wanted us to do something on youth violence and pornography. Those are two separate subjects. And they both deserve their own sermon. Actually, they both deserve like about a week of sermons. I've actually done programs called the Conqueror Series with different men's groups on pornography. And uh, I've, I've talked to people at Camp Hope about pornography. I've talked about this with pastors. I've talked about this with many people. I've gone to different schools like Deer Lake and done a week of prayer with them talking about this exact subject because it's a subject that needs to be talked about. It's a subject that, like I say, it's the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it. A lot of these cases where they've called me, it wasn't because they didn't want to talk about it, it was because they were maybe a little afraid, a little apprehensive, a little, you know, this world today, everybody's offended by everything. You can't say anything, especially if it's your opinion. I'm not going to be talking about my opinion today. I'm going to be talking about true, real things that are happening, not only with our children, with us as adults, with our pastors, with people around us, and people in the world. And don't think we're that far removed from people of the world when it comes to this subject, because we are not. The, st the stats are there. I went through uh, stats that were just done a few years ago that were 44 pages long. It was a long read. I went through it all. I'm not going to give you all of those stats because it would be very, very dry. I'm giving you a few stats that are really pertinent. So before I get going here, I'd like to pray to ask the Lord to give me his wisdom and his strength and for ears to be open to hear this message the way he wants it to be heard. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this Sabbath day. I, I thank you so much. I so look forward to it. So busy throughout the week as many of us are, and it's nice to put to rest the things we do, not just with our hands, but with our minds. Some of us, our minds are going constantly. It's nice that we have this day that we can just put it aside, enjoy each other's company, and enjoy having you with us, Lord. I ask that you be with us today, Lord. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to be healed in the way that you have guided us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I say, this subject is touchy. I'm going to be very candid about it, just to warn you ahead of time, and I think it needs to be candid. It's funny, every time I talk about this exact subject, the devil tries to stop me. You know, I've got in my computer every sermon that I ever wrote, there's probably 50 of them, right from the very first one I wrote in Campbell River, I could find this last week. I knew I already had a sermon written. I knew I already had a PowerPoint made up. I could not find it. I ripped through my computer. I went through every file. And like I say, I could find the first sermon I did in Campbell River, right to the last one I did here. But I could not find that one of all things. So I had to rewrite it, <laughs> redo it, refine all of my material. It, it took quite a bit of a, a process. And then coming here today, I, I, I printed out a little bit of notes just in case, you know, the PowerPoint wasn't going to work. You know, there's always something technical that'll go wrong when it's a message that the Lord needs people to hear. The devil just kind of worms his way in there and, you know, a little wire pulled here or something there. So we, we couldn't figure it out this morning. We couldn't figure out how to get the PowerPoint up. And I thought, oh, no. And then I, and then I remember, you know, I brought my notes. But then I'm like, 
oh, I forgot my glasses. I can't read my notes without my glasses. <laughs> so here I'm in, oh no, I'm gonna have to really wing it this time. But we got it all set up. Luckily, Matt figured it out and, and, and Richard here figured it out. We got it all up here, which is good. Hopefully my clicker works. Let's just turn it on and make sure. But like I say, this, this is a subject that I've talked about a lot. I've had people come to me at Camp Hope, sit down with me and talk about the shame that they have, the struggle they have. And this is a true addiction. You can't just tell somebody, just stop. It doesn't work that way. Anybody that knows anything about addictions knows that you just can't stop. It's the whole thing about an addiction. It's overwhelming to the person. And when it's overwhelming to an effect that you are so entrenched in it and so shameful of it, it's like this revolving cycle. You're, you have so much shame and guilt that to soothe yourself, you go back to it. And people do that because, uh, let me explain it this way. When, when you hold your own baby for the first time, that joy you feel, when you do something that you love to do, like for me, mountain biking and certain things like that, you get this, almost like a high, you feel so good. You know, all these things, you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time, it's like, oh wow, you just feel awesome. That's a dopamine hit. Your, your body creates this, your, your brain creates this, and you have receptors in your brain, and then it makes you feel good. It's the feel-good drug your body makes. This happens with pornography. You get a dopamine hit. You feel good. And for somebody, in a lot of cases, people that struggle with this addiction are people that have had a rough childhood. Sometimes they've been shown porn at a very early age. I was shown it when I was uh, very, very young, at the age of six, by my abuser. And I was shown over and over and over. And you have to realize at that early age that there's something in your brain called, it's called a template, a sexual template, that is formed between the ages of six and about eight, maybe up, even up to ten. And it's formed during that time. It's a precious time for children when they're being raised. If they have any kind of trauma, and, and especially a trauma of seeing pornography, and, and especially if it's from an abuser, it's a whole nother level when it comes from an abuser. But let's just say it's just pornography shown at that very early age. That template is changed forever. Forever. That template is changed. And that child will grow up having not necessarily a distorted view of sexuality, but it'll be a little skewed won't see things exactly the same as somebody who was never shown that in their life. We create pathways in our brains, and these pathways are receptors to dopamine receptors, a lot of them. It's these pathways we carve through our brains to remember things that we enjoy, to remember things. Sometimes, though, those pathways go to things that were trauma, and we can't stop ourselves. You have to understand the, the, the dynamics behind the addiction for this, because there's a lot of people that will look very negatively towards somebody that struggles with a pornography addiction. Just get over it, just stop. There's all of these things, I've had it said to me. Just watch this one sermon. You'll be free of it, you will have victory. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. Or, you're not praying hard enough. Oh, I've heard that one many, many times. You're not getting on your knee, you're not giving it up, and you're not praying enough. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. With addictions, it does not work that way. God will help you. 
He will, but you need to take some steps yourself, and you need help. Let's, move, let's make sure this thing's going to work for me now. Oh, i got to point it that way. Oh, let's not. Okay. Oh, there we go. So this uh, is our, our, our scripture this morning. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Yeah, maybe we can turn the lights down a little bit back here so it's a little bit easier to see. If that's possible. There we go. So, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, ascension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But let's go... I guess this is, oh, I went the wrong way. Come on. There we go. Let's go back a little bit to verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There's this war going on in our mind, and the devil knows it. He knows the war is here, and he's going to attack it at every time he can figure it out. There's many different avenues he can use. He can use music, he can use movies, and he can use pornography. Because what is the frontal cortex? Anybody know what it's the seat of? It is a seat of spirituality. That frontal cortex, our critical thinking right here. So if you occupy something else in there, music, movies, whatever, pornography, you can't have the spirit in there and that at the same time. You can't be desiring one and the other and fill that space. It's either one or the other. And so if you're filling that with something like porn, the Spirit can't talk to you. You can be convicted, but the Spirit can't really work with you because you've occupied that with something else. And also, when that is occupied with something else and you're getting dopamine hits, it, it, it will shut down that critical thinking. And then what happens is you go into an alpha wave. You go into the deeper part of your brain. And when you're in that alpha wave, you're susceptible to outside influence. Did you know that? When this shuts down, you are susceptible to outside forces. That the devil knows this. He's going to use every avenue to get to our children and to get to us by that frontal cortex. If he can occupy that, the spirit can't work with us. Oh, point it the right way. There we go. Definitions. The clinical definition, any image that leads a person to use another person for their own sexual pleasure, it is devoid of relationship, love, and intimacy. It can be highly addictive. And please don't, don't misunderstand this. That the addiction for somebody with this, especially if they were shown at a very young age, you can't just break free of it easily. I really want you to have compassion for people that struggle with this because... 
they have put themselves in a position that they will not talk about it usually. They will not let family members know about it. They will struggle in the dark. They will struggle alone with this because of the stigma that's attached to this. People will look at you differently. I've gone to many different churches and talked about this subject, and I've had people be very friendly with me at the beginning. When I go to leave, they're a whole different person to me. I'm serious, and it's true. People will look at you differently. So, so many people are afraid to admit they have a problem with something, especially this, because people will look at you differently, and they will judge you. Whether they do it verbally or not, they're going to judge you. But you have to let it out. There are people in this very church that have this problem. In every church, make no mistake, it is a huge problem. According to a survey conducted by the Barna Group in 2014, 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month. Compared to 65% of non-Christian men and 30% of non-Christian women. You see how close that is to the world? You see how close we are? One percentage for men. Women are doing much better. I praise them. They're doing much better. But that is so close. We think we're so far removed from the world. But the things that attack us are going to come much harder and much worse because the devil, we know, is like a roaring lion. And if he thinks that we've got something to say that might help somebody else, he's going to attack us even that much harder. He doesn't have to worry about most people in the world. But us, he's going to attack us. So I'm surprised it's actually that low. And actually, these are old statistics. Some of the numbers I'm going to show you, you double the number right now. One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. That's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders. Double that number, 100,000. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they have struggled with pornography in the past. That number is actually 65%. Only 7% of pastors report their church has a ministry program for those struggling with porn. Do you think we need to have it higher? Do you think we need to embrace not only each other, but bring in people in the world that are struggling with this and say, we care. We care. We're not going to judge you. We love you. We know you're struggling. This is an addiction that you've had for a long time, and we're going to help you with it. Do you think we need a ministry like that? Of course we do. Run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Oh, there we go. Here's some more statistics. I'm not going to give you a ton because they're overwhelming. There's so many of them, they're overwhelming. Every second, 3,000 is spent on pornography. Double it, 6,000. Every second, 60,000 internet users are viewing pornography. Every second, 700 internet users are typing adult searches. Actually, I think it's higher than that. I read a statistic last night that said it was in the thousands. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the United States. That's mind-boggling. 
mind-boggling. The pornography industry earns over $97 billion. Double it. Can you imagine that? Double that number. $180,000, billion every year. $13 billion? $26 billion comes from the USA. It earns, pornography industry earns more than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink combined. Now we know that Amazon, the guy who owns Amazon, is he not the richest guy in the world? This industry is making more than he does combined with a bunch of the other ones. This is a huge industry, massively huge. You wonder how, where do they get these people from? We've seen the people living on the street. This is how they recruit people. Runaways, people on the street, people that are into drugs, they can find them quite easily. And the missing girls that you see, you wonder what happens to them? They're pulled into this industry. We see it all the time. It's in the newspapers, it's on Facebook all the time. Have you seen so-and-so? And it's always usually a young girl. A lot of times it's a young native girl. And they're gone, they're pulled into this industry, never to be seen again. You wonder what happens to them? I'm not even gonna go down that road. I'm not even gonna go that far because it's just too descriptive, too, too descriptive and it's too sad. But it is a horrible industry. Now let's talk about dopamine. Dopamine is one of the superheroes of the brain because it has so many powers. It activates or enhances reward circuitry that make you feel good. Like I said, all these things that make us feel good, that feeling that you get comes from dopamine. It's this chemical in our brain and it hits a receptor and you're like, oh, I feel good. Even cheese. You eat a piece of cheese, you get a huge dopamine hit. But the highest dopamine hit you can get out of anything. Anyone who want to guess what it is? The most dopamine hit you can get, the highest you can get, the best feeling you can get from a dopamine hit, the most dopamine you can get is from what? Sex and pornography. You get that overwhelming good feeling, and that's where it comes from. Essentially, dopamine helps the brain remember what is interesting and how to respond to it. It focuses the mind on a specific task while the other concerns are ignored. It's like your tunnel vision. Saying, hey, do this now. It provides a neurological reward that feels good and assists in cravings for more of the same activity. Without doubt, dopamine is either a superhero or a super foe depending on whether the activity affects a person positively or negatively. Oxytocin, another chemical our brain makes. Oxytocin is often referred to as the bonding hormone, and big releases arrive when mothers and fathers hold their newborn babies. Also, there's another drug that comes with it, it's called vasonephrine, which is combined at the same time when oxytocin is released, and that's an attachment thing. You attach to a person. When a couple get married and they consummate that marriage, that face-to-face -face when they have relations for the first time, these chemicals are released. Oxytocin, vasopressin is released and that's that bonding that you have. That's why so many young girls, if they have sex before they're married 
and, and it doesn't matter. It could be somebody who's abusive. It could be somebody who's just not very nice to them. They have so much of a hard time breaking away from them because they've attached. They've bonded to them. Their brain has sent this chemical, and now they've bonded to that person. Well, it talks about here, because oxytocin is also released in climax, it can have a negative impact on the porn user. Instead of bonding to a real mate, a real-life person like your wife, the porn viewer's brain bonds to the image, video, or situation, especially when the activity is reinforced through repetition. So that bonding that you need to have with another person, you've bonded with a screen. Your brain has done this. It's not like you've made a conscious choice. I'm going to bond to this. I'm going to attach myself to this. I'm going to relate to this, all these things. Your brain has done it before you even thought about it. Oh, there we go. And now back to shame. Shame and guilt are common emotions that most porn users report. Everyone, not most, all porn users feel shame that I've talked to personally. Shame is the most toxic. Shame is different from guilt. Guilt says, I've done something bad. But shame says, I am bad. Not that I've done something bad, I'm bad, I'm worthless. There is self-loathing and a sense of worthlessness at the core of shame. Shame declares some version of, I am not enough. There is something wrong with me, I am bad, I don't matter. Like I said, so people that are using this, they feel this, I felt this. Many times, that shame is incredibly powerful. And what do you do to self-soothe? You want to feel better, don't you? You want to feel good because you feel so bad. So what do you do? You circle back around and do the same thing that caused you shame in the first place. Same re shame researcher Bren Brown says, shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. When you violate your own moral standards to watch porn, shame finds you. When your porn use breaks promises you've made to God, your spouse, and yourself, the shame multiplies. How many people would say, Lord, Lord, oh, I, I'm not going to do it again. I'm just not going to do it again. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and I'm not going to do it again. And then you blow it. And you think, how could a God possibly love me? This is what people feel. This is what pastors feel that I've talked to. They feel so much shame, they don't feel worthy of service, ministry, or having a congregation because they feel, I'm a fraud. I'm standing up here. I'm telling you about the love of God. I'm a fraud. I'm an absolute fraud. How dare I? It's a really powerful, powerful emotion. And the damage to children. Like I say, when children are shown pornography at a very young age, it forever changes them. And it's so dangerous, so dangerous. It robs them of their innocence. And the statistics have changed as well. It used to be that uh, uh, most children, they say, have seen porn from the age of about 11 to 12. It's seven or eight now, when they see it for the first time. Seven or eight. And it's usually by a friend and it's usually in a school, and it has happened in our schools. Make no mistake, every school, Aventus school, that we've had our boys in, 
there's been an instance of kids looking at porn online, and it's happened. They'll find a way. Kids are smart. It leaves children with a distorted view of sexuality. Like I was talking about that sexual template. They'll have a distorted cognitive thought, which is the way you think, what you tell yourself in the back of your brain. They will have a distorted look at the world and how people view sexual, or how they view sexuality. It'll always be distorted. Teaches boys that it's okay to use women. Objectifies them. They're a thing. This is what they're taught by looking at this. Teaches girls that men are violent and cannot be trusted. Or it teaches girls that men are violent and that's just the way it is. This is what many young girls learn at a very young age by viewing pornography and just the sexuality that is out there in the world. They're viewed that this is normal. To be objectified is normal. To put my body out there so everybody can see it's normal. To have men treat me in such a manner, that's normal. That's just the way the world is. I just have to get over myself. This is true. There's women that I have talked to as well that have a problem with this. When I ran the Conqueror series in uh, Armstrong, I had uh, a woman and her husband who were severely addicted to pornography, but she would have been the only woman there and she didn't want to come. So Pastor Cavan went to their home, took the program that I had, went to their home and went through it with them because she really needed to hear this. And I hope that one day our church can put on this program. And I told Tony that I'm willing to put it on here so that we can have it for people in our church and we can invite people outside the church, which would be wonderful. Children imitate, oh, let me go back there. Imitate behavior they view in adult pornography with other children. And I've seen this and heard this before. I've talked to people that this has happened before. People that have been shown porn at a very young age. Well, monkey see, monkey do. We've all heard that. No, we're not. We're talking well beyond that. And this happens at, at the young age of five. You know, if they've been shown this at an early age, they mimic. Children mimic what adults do. They always do. That's how they learn. So if they're shown this stuff at a very young age, they will mimic that behavior with another child. It's really sad. Oh, wrong button. Let me go ahead. I must need new batteries in this thing. Come on. There we go. So recovery and victory and freedom from this is intense. And it's a lot of hard work. And it usually takes somebody a lifetime to be free of this. Any of you that have read my book or know me know that I'm a recovering addict, a recovering alcoholic. I was deep, deep in all of that stuff. My wife had no idea how much drugs and how much alcohol I even hid around the house or in my shop. I would drink freely in front of them, but then I'd go down and get more. Nobody knew I was one of those drunks that nobody could pinpoint that I was even on anything. I was just really good at hiding it. A couple packs of smokes a day on top of that and the other drugs. But when I was baptized and gave my life to the Lord at Camp Hope, he wiped it all away. Not to say that I don't struggle with those things. Those are still daily struggles for me. Alcohol, I can taste it when I get really angry. And it still happens. 
other things, you know, those addictions still come back, and I still struggle with them. Depression, it's still back there. But the Lord is helping me through that, and he took most of it away. The hardest addiction that I've ever battled in my life, pornography. It's one of the hardest things. But I've done a lot of reading on it. I've done a lot of program searching. And there is a way out. There is. But you cannot do it alone. You cannot pull up your bootstraps and say, I'm just not going to do it. That will not work. It might work for a time. You know, that white-knuckle driver kind of thing. You're white-knuckled all the time. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And then something happens. Bad day. Fight with your wife. Whatever it may be, whatever emotion that triggers you, whether it's resentment, anger, guilt, fear, there's many different triggers. You loop yourself all the way back around and do it again. And now that shame is even more powerful because you are so adamant that I'm going to do it. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot and you will not. But first you have to accept that you got a problem. Just like any addiction, you have to accept that there's a problem there, that I have a problem. And not only have a problem, I have the humility to talk to somebody else about it. I am humble enough to say, I cannot do this alone. I need help to get through this. Accountability. This is one thing I talk about through the Conqueror Series program that I do, that you need an accountability partner. You need somebody you can trust, and it's not going to be your wife or your mate. That is the wrong person. The person you need is a close friend, say your pastor. My accountability partner is Pastor Kevin, back in the Okanagan. And how that works is you set it up with your computer, all your computers, your phone, everything. He gets tracking of where you've been. And it'll red flag anything that even has the notion of sexuality in it he will get an email and the red flag will pop up and say, hey, Jim looked at something or Jim said something in a text. It goes that far that if you even mention something, I've actually meant something as a joke. I said, I think I sent Christina a text and it was like a joke. It got sent to him and he called me. I said, Jim, I saw this, but I think you're joking around, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I was. But you need that. You need to know that somebody else is watching, but that still isn't enough. That still isn't enough. Even to know that your best friend is going to be calling you if you look, it isn't enough for an addict to get through it. And I've talked about this with counseling as well. There's one thing that's missing in most counseling. And what would that be? God. Most counselors don't talk about God. Somebody asked me not that far or long ago, was I going to work for the ministry? for the government or something like that, for counseling. I said, no, because I won't be able to talk about God. I'm a Christian counselor, and that's what I'll remain, because that's the missing piece that we all need. Come on, Christ. So you have to be humble enough to admit you got a problem, to talk about it with others. Coming up here, you don't have to, but you know what? When I first started, say, letting the cat out of the bag. When I first started releasing emotions, my past, things that were up here and sharing it with people, not only did I have connections with people that were having the same problem, it was therapy. It was me admitting it, admitting every 
evil deed, me admitting every white lie so I could be authentic and be me again. I didn't have to hide anything. So that is so important that you have the humility to say, I've got a problem and I need help. I need prayer. Please pray for me. Accountability partner is huge to have that. But you need Christ. Without Christ, the other two won't work. They won't work. You need Christ. You need his strength because you don't have it. I don't have it. To battle that kind of an addiction, like I told you, I was able, well, it wasn't me. Christ wiped away all those other addictions. And I was sick. I was really sick because of my drugs and alcohol abuse that I did. But Christ wiped it away, and you know, it's been pretty easy. Pretty easy. That is the hardest thing. The hardest thing because it's mostly up here. Drugs and alcohol, there's a lot of physical parts to that addiction. This, it's the brain. It's that battle of the brain. It's that battle that the devil knows he can get to us. He can find avenues to get in there. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you Oh, sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help, and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He promises this. If we fall on our knees and if we've done our part, and our part means the other things I was talking about, Acceptance, humility, accountability. The Lord says, I will help you. I will lift you up. I just need you to make a step. Just like when Moses had to stick a staff in the water. There had to have been a step that he took before that water parted. Same with uh, when, they, when they crossed the river with, with the Ark of the Covenant. They had to step in the water first before the water opened. The Lord wants us to take a step. He's not just going to say, well, hold on, I'll open up your head, pop that out, gone, pop it back in, you're good to go. That doesn't happen, we know that. We need to take an active role in this before he'll say, all right, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to give you strength. But come on, buddy, come on, you can do it. He's always there saying that. Because he paid it all. He did. His blood that was shed was for the porn user. It was for the addict. It was for those who struggle with shame and guilt. He died for that. Don't be mistaken that he died for everything else. He died for the porn user. And he loves them just as much as he loves everybody else. But he knows they have a problem. And he wants them to come to him. So I implore you. Change the way you feel. Have compassion on those that seem to be you know, you want to think of porn users as the dirtiest, filthiest people. I don't want to go near them. You know. It could be anybody you know. It could be your pastor. It could be your friend. And they hide it very well. Please have compassion and pray for these people. And hopefully they can recover from this with our help, with our prayers, with our community service, and with programs that we can put on in this church. And we can help people through this. Because you have no idea the roadblocks that are put in place because of shame and guilt. It will keep you 
from certain things and really connecting with God. You have that amount of shame and the amount of shame with this kind of addiction is huge. Like I say, you will not think you're worthy enough to even have God help you. I remember the one pastor, like I said, that I talked to one time, it's actually been a few, but the one, he held so much pain and shame. He's like, how can I even tell anybody about this? I'm not telling you any of you who it was. Of course not. It's all confidential, but the pain that he went through, because he's like, I'm not good enough even to be here talking to you. I'm not good enough because of this. The amount of shame and guilt that holds you back is incredible. So let's pray for these people, even people we don't know. Let's pray for them, that they have courage to have humility, that they have the strength to ask God for help, for his strength. Because that's the only way he'll get through it. The only way. Thank you for listening. But let's, let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, you love us all so dearly. You wouldn't throw any of us away, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've thought, no matter what we've put before our eyes. You said, I will take it away and I'll throw it into the deepest part of the ocean so it is forgotten. Just come to me with it. Lord, I ask that you give us all strength. You give us all strength that we can be humble enough to admit when we have a problem or that we can be humble enough and compassionate enough to say, I will help the person who has a problem. I will not discourage them. I will not look at them falsely and judge them. That's, that's your job, Lord, not our job. Our job is to love everyone with the compassion and love that you have, that you give us. Help us, Lord. Help us to help each other so that we can be a united front for you. We don't want the roadblocks to inhibit our work. We don't want the roadblocks to inhibit our relationships with one another. We want to love one another with everything in our soul, in our mind, our body, everything, Lord. We want that latter rain, but we can't have it unless we are united. And we will never be united with secrets. We will never be united with shame and guilt. Lord, I ask that you pour out your spirit on each and every one here and give us strength. Give us encouragement and help us on that path, that path to righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I also wanted to mention one thing this morning. If many of you know that uh, Ted Pusegood was in the hospital. Uh, he was in emergency and ICU. He basically on uh, Wednesday had zero vitals. He was sick, and he wasn't feeding himself or drinking water. I talked to him on the phone. I went to see him. They wouldn't let me see him. And um, he just collapsed. And, and Irene went to him and couldn't feel blood pressure, couldn't feel anything. And so they got him to the hospital, and they kept him there in isolation for a couple days. Irene picked him up this morning, was taking him home. He was well enough to go home. But it was a very scary moment for that family because they thought they were going to lose him. He just flopped over on the table, and that was it. And they couldn't find a pulse or anything. Didn't seem like he was breathing or anything. And they thought they were going to lose him. So thanks for your prayers. And just to let you know, he's home. And he's recovering at home now. So, uh, and, and they're both in isolation at home. So anybody that wants to help him, 
drop them off some food or anything like that. I don't know if the boys are around or not to do that, but uh, we should make sure we're in contact with them and that they got all the things that they need.